Junior Creativity, Episode 18. And I have this theory that if each of us was doing what we wanted to do in this world as far as expressing our inner creativity, there wouldn't be war. You're listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Go to bit.ly forward slash creativity podcast to subscribe now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Own Your Creativity podcast. When Flora Brown retired as Professor Emeritus from Fullerton College, she became fascinated with blogging, internet radio, and encouraging readers to make choices that lead to fulfilling lives. In her book, Color Your Life Happy, Create Your Unique Path, and Claim the Joy You Deserve, second edition, she shares what she's learned from ancient wisdom, her own experiences, and the highlights of positive psychology research. In her true fashion, she recently published a book of creative and relaxing activities in keeping with the coloring craze, Color Your Life Happy, Coloring Book for Adults. Welcome to the show, Flora. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And you said that uh, in your bio, you've said that you were an entrepreneur as early as 10 years old. Can you (laughs) describe that? That situation or event? (laughs) Well, um, I had the fortune, if you can call it that, of being born to a mom who had a home-based business. And her business was um, Beauty Shop. And she had all of these customers always flocking in, you know. (laughs) So um, in the old days, customers would come to the Beauty Shop early and sit around and wait their turn. Some of them, I think they were just killing time. And I got into making things from going to the um, YWCA classes, church events. We learned how to make potholders and stuff. And I found out that I could sell these to my mother's uh, customers. (laughs) (laughs) I think I sold them for um, a quarter each. And that got to be pretty exciting that I could make money doing something that was fun. So I would take my quarters and dash over to the old days, they called it the five and dime, I think, uh, store and buy more of those little loops and make more potholders. So it was pretty fun to uh, discover that I could make money doing what I enjoyed doing. (laughs) So that's how I got into being an entrepreneur at an early age. And the customers were quite happy to, you know, to support me, you know, how they like to support children who were doing something positive. And that worked out really great. So from that point on, I was really thrown into straddling two lives of a sort because I loved school and became a teacher, but I never could let go of the entrepreneur side. So all of my teaching career and all of my life, I've really been doing something creative on the side of my teaching (laughs) And how did you manage juggling all that? Because you also had four children and you were married and you uh, also completed your PhD during that time. So how did you do all that at the same time? That is a good question. And everybody asked me that. And I wish I had a simple answer, (laughs) but I do not. Part of it is that I was determined, I think from watching my mother run her own business 
Uh, also, she was a pianist and organist. She played for our church on the weekends. She was also a great cook. She could sew, and I don't mean just sew. I mean, she could make Vogue patterns. Do you remember Vogue? Yes. They had the most sophisticated, difficult. She was really good. I guess watching her do that and go to PTA meetings and make our outfits for Halloween. I mean, just seeing her do all this stuff. I guess I got the notion early on that you could balance whatever you wanted to do. Uh, obviously, I had to set priorities along the way. but And I was blessed that I had good health. You know, sometimes you might want to do these things, but you really have to have good health. And I was also blessed that my husband went along with my um, most of my... <laughs> <laughs> created pursuits. And he especially went along with me going back to school to get my doctorate because I'm I'm thinking he felt like that would keep me busy enough that I wouldn't be doing so many other things. (laughs) Maybe that's what he thought. But yeah, I don't know the answer other than I did juggle. I did manage my time well. I did set priorities. So there were some things I didn't do that once I went back to school, for example. And I was um, pregnant with my third child uh, in the doctoral program. And I did that on purpose because I had taken off from teaching and devoted my time fully to going to school for a grant. And I figured I had my, I had this crazy plan of spacing my children three years apart. So it was time for the next child. And I thought, you know, I think I can manage a baby better while I'm in the doctoral program than I can when I go back to work. So I did that. And I'm sure most people that knew me and some who didn't know me thought I was pretty crazy to do that. But it worked. (laughs) And my son was born the first day of school, unfortunately, because he couldn't read a calendar before (laughs) he was born and know that he was supposed to be born two weeks before. But it worked out. And they're all grown. Um, My son that I'm speaking of now um, turned 40. And unfortunately, I lost him this year. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. To a heart attack. But he had 40 years. And I learned from him. And he learned from us. And, um, you know, the childhood thing, all of that worked out quite well. So I can't answer simply how did I do all that. But somehow I focused and I did it. I think... What you touched on about your mother as a role model was probably instrumental in in your believing that you could do it because she, you know, she was an amazing (laughs) example, it sounds like. She was. She was. So what is your definition of creativity? My definition of creativity is discovering and expressing what we came into this world to do to keep us connected to our higher source. And I have this theory that if each of us was doing what we wanted to do in this world as far as expressing our our inner um, creativity, there wouldn't be war, there wouldn't be conflict. And I think a lot of the conflict we have in this world is because people aren't doing what what they really are led to do if they really got in touch with that inner spirit, that inner soul, and stayed in touch with their uh, creative power, the higher power. I really think that's what Uh, creativity is. And I think we know it when we are doing it because we can feel the difference. We can feel when we are just going to work to earn money or when we are going to work because we really love that work. We love serving the people we serve or doing whatever it is that we're doing. 
And why do you think that people don't keep doing the work that they're meant to be doing and doing other things that don't fulfill them? Because people don't know they have a choice. I think, unfortunately, when we are uh, growing up in almost every setting, unless you're a rare person, we are sent to school and church and all of these places to socialize us and that want us to follow the rules and make us think that our choice is, you know, A, B, or C. (laughs) Those are our choices. And we don't really know that we have a choice. And that's the other thing you pointed out, too, whatever our role models are around us. You know, I was fortunate that my mother was a great role model, and she put us in the company of other great role models. So I saw a lot of creative people in my life. I suppose if you don't see that, then you think that you are limited to what is around you. And so I think that's why a lot of people don't do, they don't know they have a choice. They don't know the world will not end if they quit that horrible job and get the job that will make them sing, will make them have fun and enjoy life. They really don't know that. And if they are able to get into maybe a school or a program or, you know, connect with other people who can inspire them to go after their dreams, then then they can get break away from that. But I think most people don't know they have a choice. I think it's so important to be part of a community, like to get out there and see what other people are doing and surround yourself with positive people because right. that gives you ideas. You know, if you're That's at home, you know, um, zoning out in front of the television, you're <laughs> not going to find, you know, that, that passion and you're not going to have examples of what you might be able to do. That's true. And, you know, speaking of getting out, one of the great things about the Internet nowadays is that if you choose to, you can connect with people. If you're unable to get out physically, let's say you're homebound for some reason, there are so many things that you can go online and learn about people you can meet, like I'm meeting you today. Right. And so that has really leveled the playing field. It has helped so much. But you still have to have that desire and you have to go after that thing that you want. Otherwise, yeah, if you zone out in front of mindless television, (laughs) (laughs) not that I don't watch television sometimes. Let me tell you, I have a secret. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, I watch TV too. (laughs) (laughs) But you do need to surround yourself with as many positive uplifting, inspiring people as possible. Yes, you're right. And part of what you did when you were a professor was, and now as well, you share the um, the importance of positive, uh, positivity. So mm-hmm. how does that factor into your creativity and, and what you do now? Um, I think that my creativity has manifested itself in my life through my uh, curiosity, through my unwillingness to just accept whatever I was told to do (laughs) and put my spin on it. Mm. Uh, I always look for ways to make things fun and fulfilling and creative, no matter what I was assigned to do. Uh, For example, you know, I taught junior high school, my first uh, teaching experience, and um, I was supposed to teach reading and um, literature, but I was always looking for ways to make what we were learning real to the students 
because, you know, there's this gap between what I'm teaching and where they are, the lives they're leading. So I was always looking for ways to, to connect with them. So on my way to school, I just thought about this. On my way to school, I would listen to the same radio station that they listen to so that when I wanted to make a point in class, I could throw out a lyric that they would recognize. And, of course, it would shock them because even though I was just 24 when I started teaching to them, I was, you know, an old lady and they would always find that so amazing that their teacher knew the words to Aretha Franklin song, R E S P E C T. And they go, you know, so always I try to connect my students from that day all the way through my children, all the way through university levels to whatever was meaningful in their world to help show them, you know, another world. (laughs) And have you ever had a time in your life where you were disconnected from your creativity? And what was that like for you? Yes, I think the first time for sure, the main time I can think of was when my mother, um, as creative and talented and active as she was, by the time she got to about 82, she started suffering from dementia. And in All of my life before that, I always found solutions to things and did things to help things get better. The problem with dementia is it doesn't get better. It gets worse, if anything. But suddenly, I was in a new land. I didn't know what to do, how to make this better. My mother was very uh, shrewd, even with dementia, (laughs) because even though I think sometimes she didn't remember exactly my name, she knew I was her daughter. And she would say, oh, my baby is here, my baby is here, even though she had four children. But I think it was safe for her to just say my baby. And if I take somebody to visit her, uh, I would say, this is my friend Carol, do you remember her? And she'd say, sure. And she'd say, how's your son? And I would think, does she really remember that Carol has a son or did she just play it off, you know? (laughs) But that was the worst time of my life because there was nothing I could do to make it better. Um, Everything they tell you to do on the list of things, you know, are exactly the things that you're doing wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I kept, you try to have a conversation and it's just a round and round conversation because you forget, you know, what you forget what she had said. Um, So I thought, how can I be creative? How can I make this situation tolerable, actually, for me? Because for her, I I don't know to what extent she was aware of how, you know, because I would think it would be very frustrating. And the only time I saw her get frustrated was when she would try to play the piano. And she had an excellent memory. She had memorized songs, just loads of them. And when she couldn't play all of the Happy Birthday song one day, she just banged on the keyboard, and I, that's when I realized she was very frustrated with her where she was. But that was the worst time, and I tried to do things like uh, notice what other people were doing in the convalescent home where I had to, you know, eventually put her, which I tried to avoid that, but she needed someone around 24-7, even though she was actually physically healthy. But you can't, you know, trust her to not leave the house and go someplace. So... I would put uh, things, I put a, um, <laughs> kind of looked like an elementary school. I put over her bed, Mildred is loved. 
so that, you know, my thinking was, I want these people that work with my mother to know that she is, somebody loves her. She's not just another resident. I put um, pictures on the wall of the family photos. Uh, all of her clothes, I put her name inside, which sometimes didn't matter because she might have on somebody else's. Oh, my gosh, that was terrible. Because, <laughs> you know, they wash all that stuff and they put it, they, they try to put it back, but they don't. Um, it was frustrating. I felt very alone. And sad because of her four children, I was the one that was closest to her um, emotionally and physically and took care of all of that. And it was really rough. Every time I would visit her, uh, I would run to get to the parking lot because I was in tears. I was about to cry and I didn't want her to see me crying. So I would run to the parking lot and get in the car and cry, cry, cry before I pulled off. That was really tough. My I felt um, unable to be creative in that situation. Uh, what did I learn from that though? That's what's important. Yeah. I think, um, one of the first things I learned from that experience was that this too is part of life, you know, and I kind of got past, I don't know. I felt like I got past this idea of why is this happening to me? Well, it's it happens to everybody or can happen. So it's, you're not, you're not being singled out. I also try to realize to, that it's important to be grateful for what I have. I was grateful she was healthy, and I was grateful of all the lessons she had taught me before we got to that point. And I was very impressed with the fact that she had planned her whole funeral. She had planned her—all um, of the expenses were paid. When my mother died, I only bought flowers. Wow. Everything else was paid. Um, her funeral program was all done, except that we had to change it because she outlived some of the people. <laughs> some of the people who were supposed to sing solos <laughs> had died. <laughs> so I just tried to look for how do I get through this period of time? How do I get through it? Because this, too, is part of life. Yeah, that was the worst time, I think, for me. So how did you get through it? What was the, the turnaround point for you? I think just realizing that I get to choose how mm. I experience this period. That, you know, it's one of those things that you can't go and bury your head and hope it'll be over in a minute. You know that it's here and each day you start anew with figuring out how do I get through this period? What can I do? And realizing too, I think that it's, it was a lot about me and my feelings and not just her. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about people who get stuck in dead end jobs and unfulfilling yes. jobs because they don't realize that they have a choice. But exactly. in that moment, dealing with your mom, you realize that you had a choice and, yes. and you took the, the one that was healthier for you. Yeah, I had a choice of how I felt and how I reacted to it. I certainly didn't have a choice of what she was going through, but I had a choice of how I was going to go through it with her. And what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice? Well, let me explain that when I was growing up, we were just loaded with advice. (laughs) (laughs) Because I grew up in the 50s in um, St. Louis, Missouri, during a very uh, segregated time. And so as um, an African-American, I, we were denied a lot of things as far as admittance to this and admittance to that. So the teachers and leaders we had were always encouraging us so that we would 
know that we could go after our dreams. So they were always saying, knowledge gives you power. Get your education. No one can take that away from you. Uh, go after your dream and so forth. Those were kind of the sayings that I heard growing up. But in recent years, my two favorites um, are the first one is say yes to yourself and no to other people. And when my grandkids first heard me say that in a speech I was giving, <laughs> they they were kind of um, shocked because, you know, they first thought that meant be selfish. And then the second um, saying was when I was interviewing someone and uh, he said, um, when things go wrong, don't go with them. Oh. And uh, that has been a powerful thing for me, too, because our first reaction when other people are acting up or acting badly <laughs> is we want to go there with them. <laughs> yeah. We want to fight back. We want to curse back. We want to call them names. And, um, that is some good advice is to, um, not go there. That old saying about, uh, when you get angry, count to 10. Right. Is very a powerful advice because if you pause and think about what's in your best interest, then you're going to take the right path. But especially that yes to yourself and no to other people is so has been so powerful for me because when you, it's back to the thing we were talking about people stuck in jobs and so forth. If you say yes to yourself in terms of the job you want and what you want to go after, even if it means going back to school, getting training, whatever it takes, then you're more likely to do that. If you really understand that you can say yes to yourself. And you can put yourself first without it being a selfish thing. Can you share one of your personal habits that contributes to your creative success? Probably. I don't know if this is a habit exactly. It's a characteristic is curiosity and impatience. Um, I'm going to call it impatience. Uh, you could call it a sense of urgency. Those contribute a lot to my success because I'm very curious about so many things. It's kind of a downfall in some cases because then I spend too much time watching webinars and online learning. But those have been a big factor because when I've wanted to know something about something and decided I want to go after it, then I have this this sense of urgency of getting that information right away and applying for it right away and following up on it right away. And those kind of things have... Um, been a big part of my success. I think it's really important to gain knowledge, but then to put it into practice, you know, take some <laughs> action right away. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. So is there a particular person that inspires you to be creative? Well, of course, I've mentioned my mother already. She inspired me a lot when um, even growing up, she always encouraged me in my creativity and and the people that she surrounded me with. But also, I've been inspired a lot by Wayne Dyer and especially his saying, um, don't die with your song inside you. Mm. There are things that I might would have postponed doing along the way, like traveling the world, for example. But every time I would think about him and about this, don't die with your song, your goal, your dream inside of you, then I would push to make sure that this was happening. Uh, obviously, in order to do that, you've got to focus on that dream. And that means letting something else go, perhaps. But that has really pushed me to get things done and to try things, even if I don't stick with them. You know, I try it. Didn't work. Okay. Let's move on. 
What is your favorite work of art? And it can be any type of art. Oh, my goodness. That's a tough one because I love poetry. I love music. I love art. I'm going to go with the poem If by Rudyard Kipling because that that was my mother's favorite poem. But it's also mine because it says in there everything that we need to know about life. And even though it was written in the 1800s, it still is um, powerful. And because when he talks about the very first line, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, I mean, is that does that not happen to it's us? It's so relevant. <laughs> it's so relevant. <laughs> but he goes through the whole poem talking about if you can, you know, walk with kings and keep the common touch, if you can do. I just love that. And of course, the only part I would change is at the very end. He said, if you can do all these things, then you will be a man, my son. And of course, <laughs> we would want to change that too. You would be a wonderful person. <laughs> my child. My child. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and do you have a favorite quote that inspires you? Um, I'm not sure where I got this uh, quote from, but it's it's also kind of like my life slogan. And that is, nobody becomes somebody without the help of somebody else. And I really think that with all our creativity and with all the things that we do, we have a responsibility to help someone else. Uh, that help can be very uh, direct. It can be indirect. I mean, a smile can help somebody. But I feel that we are not... We don't make success all alone. We have people that have influenced us one way or another around us. And I love that that saying, and that's kind of my goal to help somebody along the way. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, because I think that what you have to say is going to help somebody out there who's listening. And uh, and it's just so inspiring to, to hear about your story and, and how you got here. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great. There were so many things in that conversation with Flora Brown that have stuck with me. When things go wrong, don't go with them. You can say yes to yourself without being selfish. And oh, that poem by Rudyard Kipling. Thank you, Flora, for reminding me about that one. So what part of the interview today resonated with you? Is there something that you want to say yes to, but you think you're doing it as being indulgent or selfish? Write it down and see it on the page and really think about it. Really think whether it's being selfish or not. If you'd like to share some thoughts with me on that topic, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message to info at ownyourcreativity.com. And one last thing to share with you before I go today, and that's that I'll be hosting an online writing challenge on Facebook soon. So if you'd like to find out more, just go to onlinewritingchallenge.gr8.com and that's gr8.com. So onlinewritingchallenge.gr8.com. Until next week, own your creativity. Own your creativity.